We're going to take communion at the close of this message today. I feel prompted today to talk about the benefits of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Probably the most obvious benefit of the cross is that Jesus paid a price to get you and I into heaven. Man, that's an obvious benefit, and thank God for that. However, Jesus didn't just pay to get you into heaven. He also paid a price to get heaven's power into you. Okay? Um, Most believers don't understand everything that the Lord has accomplished for us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus' son. Um, I dare say that none of us, I'm sure none of us fully comprehend everything that Jesus has done for us. And um, the great thing about salvation, the great thing about um, following the Lord is that you don't have to be a theologian to get saved. You don't have to understand everything he did for you to, to follow him. But and it's so simple. The, the gospel is so simple. A little child could, could follow it. A little child can respond to it. But having said that, we spend our entire lives unpacking and finding out what Jesus did on the cross for us, what he did at the death, burial, and the resurrection for the rest of our lives. For example, um, imagine if you, if you got hired, you, you got a job, you got hired somewhere. The most obvious benefit at a job is that you get a paycheck, right? However, if no one explained to you the, the benefits package that went with it, you wouldn't understand everything that went with that. Well, listen, today I want to think of me as your uh, local HR person, and I'm going to help you unpack some of the benefits of the resurrection today. The title of our message is called Benefits of the Blood. We're going to take communion and participate in this resurrection. Jesus shed his blood on the cross to bring you into relationship with him. But there is much more to that relationship than many of us realize. What many people don't realize is that Jesus didn't just shed his blood on the cross. He actually uh, shed his blood seven separate times on Good Friday. And each shedding of his blood provides something unique to the believer. I want to talk about these seven places that Jesus shed his blood and what they each mean to us. Um, The Old Testament is full of types and shadows um, that, were, that, that were Christ fulfilled. Um, we've said it like this before. The Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. And so whenever you read the... the uh, Jesus is all over the Old Testament. He's just not named Jesus specifically. But there are types and shadows that Jesus came and he did fulfill. One example of this is that God gave um, Moses and Aaron uh, instructions on how to present a sin offering In Leviticus chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says this. Then the anointed priest shall take some of the bull's blood and carry it into the tent of meeting. He is to dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle some of it seven times before the Lord in front of the curtain of the sanctuary. This pattern of sprinkling of of the blood of the sacrifice seven times is repeated in um, chapter 4, verse 17. It's repeated... um, Uh, in chapter 16, verse 14, and also in uh, chapter 16, verse 19. So the priest 
would sprinkle some of the blood seven times in the tabernacle. And our Jesus, our great high priest, he shed his blood seven separate times on our behalf. Now, why seven? Because seven represents fullness or completeness. Here's the deal. Jesus shed his blood seven times for us. And this blood that he shed is the complete package. It wasn't just to get you into heaven. Thank God for heaven. Right? But we're not just living only for heaven. Thank God it was to redeem the whole person. It was to redeem and restore the whole individual. It wasn't just to get you into heaven. It was to get heaven into you. So let's talk about these seven times Jesus shed his blood and what they mean to us as a believer, okay? Um, As I was diving into this study, I realized that I could have spent seven weeks talking about this. It just became more and more and more. Um, So this is going to be a condensed appetizer of something that I'll probably do in the future and unpack these a little bit more. But seven times. Um, Number one, Jesus shed his blood at the Garden of Gethsemane. Okay, at this point, I will spend the most amount of time on, and then the other ones will have to speed through a little bit. Um, Jesus shed his blood at the Garden of Gethsemane. The night before the crucifixion, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. We have a picture of uh, modern day. This is the modern day Garden of Gethsemane. Um, these, some of these olive trees that are here are very old. They say that some of these could be as old as 2,000 years, these, these trees. In other words, some of these trees that are there and they're alive and well today possibly could have been little saplings when Jesus himself was in this garden almost 2,000 years ago. It says this in Luke twenty-two forty-four, And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling to the ground. They say that there's a condition that if some people are under extremely stressful situations, they literally can sweat blood. Um, I believe this is a picture of what happened to Jesus. He was under such pressure. He was under such um, distress of what he knew was about to happen to him. He, f- he began to feel the weight of man- mankind's sin and the weight of God's wrath upon him in this garden. And it was obviously deeply stressful and agonizing. It says this in Matthew 26, 36-38. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here while I go over there to pray. He took Peter and uh, Zebedee's two sons, James and John, And he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief, even to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Jesus was so troubled in his soul, even to the point of death. Jesus began to feel the crushing weight of mankind's sin and what he was about to go through. What is the soul? His, his soul was crushed with grief. The soul is our mind, our will, and our emotions, okay? Uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been so broken, so troubled, that you thought you literally might die? 
Have you ever gone through something so troubling, so grievous, you're like, am I having a heart attack? What's going on? There's so much stress, so much pressure. Here's a couple scenarios that perhaps some of you have gone through. Have you ever lost a close loved one? Have you ever been through a divorce? Have you ever been fired from a dream job? Have you ever gone through a bankruptcy or a foreclosure? Have you ever experienced a deep betrayal? Have you ever had really bad news from the doctor or had a family member that had bad news from the doctor? Have you ever gone through a medical emergency or a family member gone through a medical emergency? Have you ever had a nervous breakdown? Have you ever been involved in a contentious legal battle? Or perhaps you've made a mistake so colossal you thought, I will never recover from this terrible mistake I have made. I don't know what you have gone through, and I don't know what you are going through, but I'm sure if you've lived in this world long enough, you've experienced a deeply troubled soul. How many have been there before? Okay. Here's what you need to know. Jesus has complete empathy for you because he has been there. Jesus has felt that anguish and crushing of his soul. But I also want to say, Jesus didn't just experience the crushing of his soul. He wasn't just pressed so that he could identify with you. Thank God for that. But he was also being crushed in his soul so that your soul might be whole. Your soul might be healed. Here's the deal. Jesus cares about your emotional health. He cares about your emotional well-being. The word uh, Gethsemane in Hebrew, it means olive press. What they had to do is they had to crush the olives in order to extract the olive oil. Um, This is a a beautiful and amazing picture of what Jesus did for us. Go ahead and put up, I have a couple pictures here. What they would do first is take the olives and uh, mash them into uh, like a paste. And then go to the next picture. They would take that paste and they would place it in this basket um, and in, in that basket, they would place a heavy stone upon that basket and begin to add that, that stone would add weight to that basket and begin to push the oil out from it. And then there was this counterweight with an even heavier weight on the other side, and they pushed down on that to extract the maximum amount of oil that they could get from the olives. Go to the next picture. And this is at the end of the process, the, the oil began to run out blood red. This is an amazing picture of what Jesus did for you and did for me in the garden of Gethsemane. The weight of man's sin and God's wrath was pressed upon him and his soul was being crushed, his mind, will, and emotions. Jesus, your great high priest, has endured the crushing of his soul and he has great empathy for whatever you're going through. But more than that, he was crushed that your emotions and your emotional health might be made whole. Here's what I want to say today. There is emotional healing and well-being in the blood of Jesus. I also felt today, I was just driving here praying about this message. I felt that there are people here today that were going to be set free of social anxiety and different things like that. When we take communion, I'm going to go through each of these. And we'll go through a little faster now. But whatever it is that you need, whatever it is you need um, breakthrough in any area, 
Jesus provided for it. And we're going to, when we take communion, I want you to believe for that when that happens. So number one, um, Jesus' blood was shed in the Garden of Gethsemane. Number two, Jesus shed his blood at the house of Caiaphas. Caiaphas was the high priest in Jerusalem uh, that year. Jesus was, after he was arrested, he was taken to this house of Caiaphas. And there the teachers of the law and the elders, they brought false accusations against Jesus. By the way, this is, the house of Caiaphas is one of the places that, um, if you visit Jerusalem with us, one of the places that you'll get to go into. And this is one of the rooms that they knew with almost certainty that Jesus stood in. Um, so it's pretty, pretty amazing. But Caiaphas charged Jesus with blasphemy. What happened after that was the, the guards, they blindfolded him, and they began to beat Jesus. It says this in Matthew 26, 67 and 68. They spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah, who hit you? Terrible disgrace. This is a fulfillment of a, a messianic prophecy in the Old Testament of Isaiah 52, 13 and 14. It says this. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Jesus didn't just get punched in the face a few times. He got beat up so bad, he was marred beyond human likeness. He was unrecognizable. In Isaiah 50, verse 6, it says that, that, that they tore the beard from his face. Here's the application. Jesus, is there, I don't know if there's anyone here you feel like you're just not seen. Let me tell you something. Jesus became unrecognizable so that you and I could become recognizable to the Father. His face was disfigured. Why? So that your face could be transformed into his image, into the image of his son. We look like we do now, of course, but he changes our character and nature. He give, we, we are given the gift of righteousness that we become recognizable to the Father. Romans 8, 29 says that each of us, we are predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Here's the deal. He was disfigured. He was, became unrecognizable so that you could become recognizable. There is identity in the blood of Jesus. Number three, Jesus shed his blood at the Praetorium. After the Sanhedrin interrogated Jesus, they took him to Pilate, the governor, where he was questioned and tried. In the Praetorium, the Roman soldiers, after he was uh, sentenced to death, the Roman soldiers mocked Jesus. This was kind of a game to the Roman soldiers. When they had someone who was sentenced to death, they would, they would mock and beat them and play games with them. Matthew 27, verses 27 through 30 says this. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him, and they twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand, and they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. Imagine that. You have this crown of thorns and someone's hitting you in the head with a staff, driving those thorns into your head. They put a crown of thorns on him 
on his head. Why? So that you and I could have the mind of Christ. So that you and I could be renewed in our thinking. It says this in 1 Corinthians 6, 17. Who can know the Lord's thoughts? Who knows enough to teach him? But we understand these things, for we have the mind of Christ. Listen, if you're a Christian, God has predestined you to have the mind of Jesus. This is part of your inheritance. This is part of what Jesus provided for us. Romans 12, 2, it says this. Don't comply to the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. By changing how you think. Let me ask you a question. Do you struggle in your thoughts? Do you struggle in your mind? Do you struggle with unforgiveness? Do you struggle with thoughts of lust? Do you struggle with thoughts of suicide? God wants to transform the way you think. This is part of our inheritance. Jesus bled that we might be renewed in our thinking. There is renewed thinking in the blood of Jesus. Number four, Jesus shed his blood at the whip. We know that before Jesus was crucified, that he was scourged by the Romans. Here's another messianic prophecy from Isaiah 53.5. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Jesus was whipped so that our physical bodies might be healed. It says this in Romans 8, 11. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, he gives life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Church, there is physical healing in the blood of Jesus. He provided it for you. If you need a miracle in your body, if you need a healing, there's physical healing in the blood. Number five, Jesus' hands were pierced. Here's another messianic prophecy, uh, scripture. Uh, Psalm 22, 16 through 18 says this. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains uh, encircles me. They pierced my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. Jesus fulfilled every single one of these things. Why were Jesus' hands pierced? Here's why. So that God can anoint your hands. He can anoint your work life. He can anoint what you put your hands to and bless what you touch and what you put your hands to. Here's the deal. There is divine purpose for what you put your hands to in the blood of Jesus. He was redeeming our work life. Number six, Jesus' feet were pierced. Why was his feet pierced? For our walk life. Our hands were pierced for our work life. Our feet, his feet were pierced for our walk life. That we might walk with him and serve him. It says this in Luke Jesus said this in Luke 10, 19. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Church, there is authority in the blood of Jesus. When we walk with Jesus, the one who has been given all authority and power, we have authority everywhere we put our feet. There's authority in the blood of Jesus. And last one, number seven. The last time Jesus' blood was shed was his side was pierced. 
John 19, 28 through 37. It says this when Jesus is on the cross. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up the spirit. I just want to say, just pause real quick, say that Jesus gave up the spirit. Jesus' life was not taken from him. Jesus gave his life for you and for me. And by the way, Jesus didn't do all this that I'm talking about so that you would feel sorry for him. Jesus did all this to redeem you and I, that we could come back and have relationship with him. Amen? So we could live victorious. Just receive it. It's a gift. Just receive the gift. Verse 31, talk about the piercing side. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. I want to explain real quick how that would expedite the dying of these, um, these uh, criminals. Um, the reason why they would break the legs or wanted to have the legs broken is because on the cross, when you're, when you're nailed to a cross, you, in order to take a breath, you have to push up with your feet to get a breath of air. And if they, So you're literally pushing on that nail that they nailed his feet down with. Um, he had to, they had to push up to take a breath. If they broke the legs of the prisoners, then they were, were unable to take a breath and they would die much faster. But the soldiers therefore came, um, therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, then those of another. But when they came to Jesus and found him already dead, they did not break his legs. That, by the way, also is a fulfillment of prophecy. It says, in spite of everything that happened to Jesus, none of his bones were broken. And that was a fulfillment of prophecy as well. Instead, verse 34, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. Why was his side pierced? I want to explain this. In Genesis chapter 2, God made Adam. And God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So God took Adam and put Adam into a deep sleep, opened up his side, took out a rib from which he made Eve. Adam's side opened up. Who came out? His wife. What about Jesus? On Calvary, Jesus fell into a deep sleep. His side was opened. And who came out? The church. The bride of Christ. The bride of Christ, the church, was born. And the the, the church era begun when Jesus' side was pierced. He was pierced so the church might be born. Jesus was pierced so that you and I might be born again. There is new birth in the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood was shed seven times. Number one, for your soul. Number two, for your image. Number three, for your mind. 
Number four, for your physical healing. Number five, for your work life. Number six, for your walk life. And number seven, for your new birth. He wants us whole in our emotions. He wants our identity in him. He wants us to have renewed thinking. He wants to give life to our mortal bodies. He wants to bless what we touch. He wants us to walk with authority with him. And he wants us to be born again. Before we transition to communion, I just want to pause and I want to say, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I mentioned a lot of benefits, but I'll just talk about this one benefit, the benefit that your sins are washed away and you're forgiven and you've begun a relationship with the living God. If you're here and you've never made that decision to place your trust in Jesus, or perhaps you're here and maybe you have, but for whatever reason, you've just gone your own way, you've gone astray, and this morning you need to renew and you need to rededicate your life to him, I want to pray for you before we leave this place. You can leave this place knowing that you've begun a relationship with the living God and that you're heaven-bound and you can receive everything that he's done for you. I want to explain the gospel. The gospel means good news. This is good news. All of mankind has gone our own way. We've all sinned. We've all messed up. None of us are perfect. And many times we get this idea, the world has this idea, that, man, I feel this separation between me and God. But maybe if I can be a better person, maybe if I could do some religious things, maybe if I can do some good deeds or some good merits, maybe I can erase that guilty feeling that I feel and make myself right with God. But listen, if you're here, you need to know the problem of separation between you and God cannot be fixed from you trying to be a better person, you trying to clean yourself up, you trying to erase this guilty feeling. It can never be fixed that way. An illustration I use often is, imagine we were going to have a competition to see who could jump over the Grand Canyon. How many know that some would make it further than others, right? Uh, the world record holder, Michael Powell, jumped 29 feet and four and one quarter inches in 1990. He would have made it further than all of us. But the Grand Canyon at its narrowest point is 600 feet wide. Even Michael Powell would have fallen short by 570 feet. This is the same thing with us when we try to approach God through our good deeds and good merits. Some are better than others, but in the end, we all fall incredibly short. This is why Jesus came to this earth. Jesus came and he lived the perfect life that you and I couldn't live, and he died the death on the cross that you and I deserve to die. And when we place our faith and trust in him, he gives us the gift that we can never earn, the gift that we can never deserve. It is the gift of salvation. It is the gift of a restored relationship with the Father. If that makes sense to you today, and you want to receive this gift, I want to pray for you. I don't need to bring anyone up front, but I do this morning want to know who I am praying for. And if you do something so bold for me today, how many would hear would say, that's me? Would you just, right where you're at, just shoot your hand up and say, yeah, I need, I need to do that today. How many would say, that's me? Would you just shoot your hand up right where you're at? I'm looking for your hand, and I'm looking for it right now. Don't leave this place not knowing if you've begun a relationship with the living God. How many would say that's me? Yeah, thank you. Praise God. Thank you. How many more? Yeah, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. How many more? I'll wait just a few moments. I saw a few hands here and there. Okay, you can... 
and I can't see the balcony at all because the lights just shine right at you. You can put your hands down. And also, if you're watching online, you can totally get in on this. I'm going to pray a prayer of dedication to the Lord. It's not in the eloquence of the prayer that I'm going to pray. It's in the cry of the heart that God hears. I'm going to have everyone repeat this prayer after me. Uh, those of you praying this prayer for the first time or rededicating yourself, just mean this with all of your heart. God sees your heart. He sees, um, he sees the cry of the heart. So everyone re- repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to this world. Thank you for living the perfect life. And thank you for dying on the cross for me. For my sin. Today I give you my life. I give you my past. I give you my present. And I give you my future. Be my Lord. Be my God. And help me to follow you all the days of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Jesus Christ, to give you my life. Come fill me, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Put your hands together.